Matthew chapter 19. This message hit me hard about a week and a half ago. I put it together a week and a half ago. As far as I know, I've never really done this. Um, let me um, give you a little background. Matthew chapter 19, verse 23, 26. The rich young ruler, a rich, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Do. This is a key word. He calls Jesus good master. Now, there a couple errors were happened right up at the first question. He didn't know who Jesus was, so he called him as a man, good master. And then he went proceeded to ask pretty much, what do I need to do to have eternal life? That's the section before what I gave you. If you know anything about the salvation provided for us by Jesus Christ, you know that it cannot be received by good works. It doesn't take long in your Bible study or your journey with the Lord Jesus and the Word of God to find out that you cannot, absolutely cannot be saved by good works. First of all, you can't do good works. There is nothing you can do to get God's favor. Zero. Nothing. Except believe, which is really not a work. It's an act of the heart and the will. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shall be saved. Because the Lord Jesus did everything that was necessary for your salvation when he came, was born of a virgin, lived a life, a sinless life, crucified, buried, and the third day was raised from the dead, and eventually ascended back to the right hand of the Father, which is where he's at now, making intercession for us. So there's nothing you can do to be saved. Get that so good, and most of you have it. This rich young ruler made the mistake of believing that, and I'm not going to talk about it anymore because it's really not about there, but don't believe that you can be saved by good works. Please don't. So Jesus goes over the Ten Commandments with him, and he, he names everyone but covet. Covet. Thou should not covet. And the boy says, well, I've done all that. What, what else do I lack? And he says, well, sell it. take everything you have, sell it, and give it to the poor. What he did was illustrate the commandment, thou shall not covet. He knew the boy hung on to his goods more than what he cared about God. And that's really what it came down to. The Bible says he went away sad. Why? Because he had much possession, a lot of possessions. And if that was what it took to be saved, what did he choose? That's what Jesus said, right? Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you're going to have eternal life. So what did the boy choose? Not to be saved. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's how powerful it is. So we pick up with verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It means what it says. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed and saying, Who then can be saved? Because rich people, Old Testament, were always thought to be super blessed by God. 
But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. I want to talk to you this morning a little bit, shortly, it won't be long, about the God of the impossible. I think it's high time for God's people to get on the top side of faith. The top side of faith. Our brother uh, Harold Vaughn brought it up some and encouraged me by what he said. Matthew chapter 17, verse 14 through 21. I'm going to flip back to a couple, couple pages back there. And when they were come to the multitude, they came to him, a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, verse 14 of chapter 17 of Matthew, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic, and sore vexed, for oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples. They could not cure him. Jesus answered, said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you, and how long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Jesus rebuked the devil, the demon. He departed out of him, and the child was cured for that very hour. Then came the disciples of Jesus apart and said, Why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, and I want you to get the four words at the beginning of the sentence, because of your unbelief. You're not going to do a thing for God in doubt. You're not going to do anything for God and have God do anything much for you with doubt. It has to be rooted in belief. It has to be. He said, you guys could have cast this demon out, but you just didn't believe. You could, and I would. And he says, for very last say unto you, if you have faith of a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain. What, what is, people ask me, what is that? You mean a literal rocky mountain? Folks, folks. He said a lot of other places in John 6, 63. Um, the words I speak into your spirit and their life. A, a mountain is an obstacle. Do you have some obstacles come up in your life? You sure do. Everybody does. They're varied, but they're always tall, and they're always overcoming. He says, if this mountain, like an, like an obstacle, would come up, but you got the, great, the, faith, the faith of a little grain of mustard seed. Now, that is a literal uh, uh, piece of sand. I've seen a mustard seed. It's just like a piece of sand. And you say, remove hence to yonder place, it shall remove. And, and I want you, let's read this starting with and together in unison. The best, but we're going to do it twice. So the first time we don't do it, well, we'll do it a second time. Uh, ready? And nothing shall be impossible unto you. Let's do it again. And nothing shall be impossible unto you. How be it, this kind cometh not out, but by prayer and fasting. He said there would have to be some things going along with your faith, of course, the uh, prayer and fasting part. But what, what is he's talking about here is not just you getting up and commanding something to be, and it didn't happen. Oh, well, it didn't happen. He's talking about believing and, qu- and don't quit believing. He's talking about believing and don't, and don't quit believing. I prayed for my mother-in-law for... Kathy and I prayed for Carmen Moore for 45 long years, got down on our knees beside our bed at night 
and begged God that Carmen could be saved. And I witnessed the day at 80 years old when that old girl got saved. I wasn't going to quit. God can do what he wants to do, but I believe he could do it. And I believe he was going to do it. And you can call me, as our brothers talked about, you can call me presuming on God and presumptuous, but I'd sure rather be presumptuous than a doubter. I'd sure rather be uh, presumptuous than a naysayer. I'd sure rather be presumptuous than Mr. Negative walking around saying, ah, we never win. Oh, man, if, you, if that's all you got to say, go to a closet, shut the door, and talk to yourself. I don't need more defeatist talk. How about you? So, what limits God? Well, first of all, I mean, it's pretty obvious right there, your unbelief, my unbelief. Now, that's not just a one-time boom. That is a lifelong process of believing. It's a believing Brother Tomorrow, you saved? You still believe in Jesus? That's a process of believing. You've been believing in Jesus. You believed in Jesus. He birthed you, and then you're believing in Jesus still, aren't you? It's a process. God's moving me, moving you. Also, what limits God is asking requests outside of his will. 1 John chapter 5 said, if we should ask anything according to his will, he'll do it. So, if I want a brand new something or another and name your dream uh, and I'm going to heap that thing on my own lusts, uh, you can pretty well be sure God is not going to answer that request. You're not going to get it. He says that, James chapter 4, verse 3, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. So he tells you, you don't receive if it's outside of the will of God. You don't receive if it's to be heaped upon your own lusts. 1 John 5.14, you have this confidence, and I'll read it to you so you get it all, that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. But if in his will, and we believe he can and will do it, According to the Word of God, we have it, if you don't doubt. It's simple. It's straightforward. I'm not going to live, as I said before, a life of a defeatist, of a loser. And I don't think you should either. The Bible does not refer to us as losers. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible or defeatists. In fact, Romans 8.37, New Testament, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I see in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, seven different times, we're called overcomers by the grace of Almighty God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 15 and 58 says, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put in mortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that it is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. 
O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of that, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. That's what that means. Always abounding in the work of the Lord means lift up your head. Your redemption draws nigh. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, one of these days is going to be your last day. What would you react like if God came to me and told me, Abdiel, tell Abdiel that tomorrow's his last day. How would you act today, Abdiel? Hopefully the same as you would have acted. <laughs> they said, I'd act real good. No, you're supposed to act that way because you may die tomorrow. There's nobody in this room can say, Brother Bill, I know I'm going to live tomorrow. Do you really? Do you really? But inevitably, someday is going to be your last day. I mean, inevitably. I'm 68 years old. I can't even believe it. I pinch myself. You know? I never thought I'd be living with a grandmother. How about you, old boys? You know, I'm, you know I'm speaking the truth. I never thought I'd, I'd, this is not me. I didn't know what happened. I think the world is full of, and often I hate to say it to church, is full of its fair share of naysayers, helpless people, negative people, hopeless people, and hapless people. But that is not what I see in the Word of God. I see in the Word of God that we serve the God of the impossible. I mean, amen? Say hi, say, say hi to God and amen. <laughs> Glory to God. We serve the God of the impossible. I'm going to make that clear to you. A God that will make you sing at midnight in prison after being beaten and mocked. I never have gotten over that, them boys singing at midnight after they had open sores on their back and had to be throbbing. I mean, I've ever, you know, you got that motorcycle accident. You remember how that felt. This throbs, man. And yet them boys started singing. Only God can do that. There's a joy in my soul in spite of the pain in my body. And that, that's something only God can help you with. Uh, a God of victory. We serve a God of victory, not defeat. We serve a God of overcoming. We serve a God of power. We serve a God of the impossible. And he is that God. He's the same God that saved Noah when the rest of the world died. It was the God of the impossible that saved righteous Lot in spite of his reluctance to get out of Sodom. It was the God of the impossible that brought his people out of the most powerful dictatorship in the world, Egypt, a superpower of the day. Nobody, nobody, nobody would have believed that the children of Israel were going to get out of there. Oh, but he did more than that. He had them walk on dry ground in the midst of the Red Sea. 
He had them see the dead bodies of these superpowers floating up on the shore. He fed them along the way a thing called angel's food, otherwise known as Krispy Kreme. He gave them quail to eat every day. Uh, he gave them cold water from great depths, as old Harold Seitler would say. He separated them from the Egypt during the worst of the plagues. Uh, they fell on the Egyptians. They didn't fall on them. He delivered the seven great nations that he brought them into the promised land. Uh, they had cities with high walls and defense cities, and they, they were a bunch of, of builders brought out by God out of Egypt, and they weren't really trained in war. Yeah, they didn't need to be trained in war when they had God on their side. Glory to God. This is the, the God of the impossible that threw the walls of that old, the first city, the chief city of the south called Jericho. If you could take Jericho, you took the whole south. So they went up there, and how'd God have them do it? They went around, went home, went around, went home, went around, went home, went around, went home. That six times, the seventh time, went around seven times, never said anything the whole week. I mean, this is freaking them people out in that city. Finally, they all shouted, some sort of earthquake happened, the walls fell down, every man went forward and took the city. Guess what happened? That rumor went out. God is with these people, psychological warfare. He threw the walls of Jericho. He overcame Hazor, which was the chief city of the north. Same kind of a deal. The chief city, you take the chief city, you take the whole north. It had massive walls. I've been there. I saw it. It's unbelievable city. I don't about 10 acres, by the way. Not as big as maybe you what you may envision. By the way, Jericho was about 10 acres under walls. And they lived outside of the walls. When Bad people came. They all ran into the walls for a while. It's the God of the impossible. The God of the impossible delivered this massive giant called Goliath into the hands of a little shepherd boy, David. Why do you think God put all that in the Bible? For you. For me. So when everybody around you is saying, there's no power in God, there's no power in the Bible, uh, the Holy Spirit's gone and we've been forsaken, that you look at him and, in the name of Jesus, you tell him, I serve the same God that crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. I serve the same God that brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. I serve the same God that Elijah worshipped. The God of the impossible. It caused the, the words of Rabshake to fail in 2 Kings chapter 18. It was the God of the impossible that caused the sun to stand still for a whole day for Joshua. Now, you scientists out there, I know you're freaking out on this. God caused the sun to stand still for a day. How did he do that? You don't think you can bend light? Well, we know we can now, don't you? Somehow or another, God did it. It was the God of the impossible who let the three Hebrew boys walk with him in the fire. I like it when, he got, when they got out of the fire, they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. Brother, somebody can light a cigarette at that, end of the, at that end of the auditorium, and if you do, it'll be a quick exit. But if you lit a cigarette at the end of that auditorium, I just, it's probably beyond my clothes before you got out of here. I mean, smoke is something else about attaching to you. And yet them old Hebrew boys got out of there, and they, they're not even a smell of smoke. That's the God we serve. 
It's the God of the impossible who let Daniel lay down with hungry lions all night, and they didn't touch him. Uh, whew. I believe God can handle our requests. What about that? Just from what we've read so far, just from what's in the book so far, I believe God can handle our requests. I don't think we're going to have anything too big for our God when we come to him. It was the God impossible that surrounded Elisha at Dothan with the chariots of fire. It was the God of the impossible that cured Naaman, this uh, Syrian that was a leper, and made his skin like baby's skin. Now, you people with new babies know exactly what I'm talking about, like baby's skin, something else. It was the God of the impossible that moved a heathen king named Cyrus to not only send the children of Israel back to build the temple and the walls and stuff through Nehemiah and Ezra, it was uh, he'd pay for it. He not only he not only send you back, he'd protect you on the way back, and he'd pay for it when you got back, use the taxes to do it. Let me say this. This thing with the election today, this isn't even a problem for God. If it's God's will, he can overturn this thing in the Supreme Court, have the House decide that Trump's the next president for four years, and God's people said amen. You vote for Biden, I'm sorry for you. I'm going to tell you something. I love you, and if you never come back, it's on you, not me. But a vote for the Democrats is a vote to murder babies. You can take that to the bank. There ain't no way you can separate that. There's no way you can separate that. I'm sorry. But I need to tell you the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. And someday the blood of those babies is going to be coming off your fingers. If you've in any way facilitated the murder of them innocent children. Brother, I've done everything I know to do since 1973 to stop it, to say it was wrong, to put billboards up, to get beside the road and march against it. It's not about politics. It is about a policy. It was the God of the impossible that Jonah, the God of the impossible spit Jonah, spit Jonah up on the bank. Now, I don't know about you, but three days in a fish. It wasn't a whale, even though it was the, the, the Hebrew means a fish. God prepared a great fish. And he had to do pretty good because he somehow. Now, did Jonah die in that three days, three nights like Jesus? Possible. I don't know. You can argue that all you want. But I know one thing. When he got spit up, he was alive. Somehow, I don't think he looked the same. I think he had oil of Olay. <laughs> I think he had white skin. Like, not white, but white like that shirt. And no hair. And he was hairless, white-skinned, scrawny little preacher walking in and said, God, he, by the way, he, he was not Baptist. Now, how do I know that? He only preached an eight-word sermon. No Baptist ever preaches that short. Eight-word sermon, I'd be ashamed of myself in hermeneutics course. Forty days, God's going to destroy them. Well, 
I hope you die. That was his sub, because he hoped they died. Man, he had a bad attitude. That shows you. Preaching is not so much about the person doing it, it's about the God doing it. Through through Jonah, the God of the impossible spitting. Doesn't God come up with creative ways of doing stuff? He puts this guy in his fish. Who would have thought of that? Then you have him, you have him around go three days, you know, cook him a little bit, throw him up on the beach. Now go in and preach. I'm, I'm going. I'm going. I bet he didn't get on water. I bet he didn't get on a boat the rest of his life. He get on there, he went over to Nineveh, big old city, capital city of Assyria, massive city. By the way, that was the single greatest revival ever recorded in human history from an eight-word sermon. Preacher, why don't you get it? I'm not going to. I'm going to preach morning. Eight-word sermon. Oh, God likes to show that he's the one with the power, not us. And he does. It was great. Let's go to the New Testament. The God of the, it's the God of the impossible that had his son born of a virgin. Well, you got Jonah, and that's a strange, strange story that God did there to show you the impossible is not a problem with God. And then you start right out in the New Testament, chapter 1 of Mac, with the virgin birth. Who is born without a man? far as I know, nobody. And up to that point, nobody. And since then, nobody. But God used the woman and the seed of the woman, the Holy Spirit seed, and deity joined with humanity. It's called the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It ended up producing the only begotten Son of God, uniquely begotten, never before begotten, never after begotten. There's only one virgin-born Son of God. There's only one Savior of the world, though a lot of people claim to be. There's only one like Jesus. It was the God of the impossible that joined this deity and flesh together. It was the God of the impossible that healed the sick. My, my, you go through the New Testament. Some 34 miracles done, recorded for us in the New Testament. Now look, that's a fraction of the God of the impossible's work. The Bible says he wanted, Jesus went to some cities, and everybody that was sick, and everybody that was infirmed, and everybody that had demon problems was healed in those cities. It's in the book. It's in your book. But God recorded for us specifically 34 times so he would show you that his hand was on Jesus and through Jesus. He caused the blind to see that never had an eye, put an eye on them. The paralytic to leap and run, the deaf to hear, the chronically ill to be cured, the demon possessed to be free, the one with no eyes to see. I thought I said that. Because he walked on water, stilled the storm, fed 5,000 men plus women and children out of a few little fish and some pieces of bread. Fed it, did it again, 4,000 men and some women and children. Uh, raised Jairus' daughter, raised the widow's son, raised Lazarus after four days being dead. And they said, look, Lord, he stinks. 
You know what's beautiful about the resurrection of Lazarus? Jesus had to say, Lazarus, come forth. Because everybody else in that graveyard was like this. Had he said the name, everybody that ever was buried would have been raised up. But he had to say, Lazarus, specifically to this individual, you come up. Release him and let him go. You know, someday we're going to be released from death. And we're going to be let go. Uh, Can you feel it? Can you feel it, old timers? Death grip. Death's cold, icy fingers starting to get around your neck. Do you feel it? I'm just talking to old folks now. I feel it. I keep slipping and slipping and slipping. Where am I going? Oh, death's going to get to have this body because I can't go to heaven in this body. And I get to go to heaven by the grace of God through his blood, through, his, through faith in him. And he's going to take my spirit and my soul with him to heaven. Where the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be, be absent from the body is present with the Lord. And so we get to go. So even though death is not pleasant and death is repulsive, yet death is the vehicle by which we are going to get released to go to heaven, to get our new body. That's going to be a good day. I think I preached a sermon around that idea called the beauty of death. I know you're going to think I'm morbid, but I'm not. Death is releasing life. You know, Jesus said you take a corn, what do they call it? Not an ear of corn, but a piece of corn. Stop it, I'm preaching. You take this little piece of corn and you throw it into the ground and that piece of corn dies. It's sad. Do we go over that piece of corn and say, oh, that piece of corn, he died. It used to look really good. Uh, They used to have black hair. Uh, They used to be able to walk well. We don't go mourning over that grain of corn. We say, from that grain of corn, it's going to come life. We born-again Christians ought to be anticipating the life that is to come after this old body finally dies off. Man, sometimes I wonder, what are we hanging on to this thing so hard for? Heaven is a wonderful place. Full of glory and grace, I want to see my Savior's face. How about you? You know, I serve a God of the impossible. You serve a God of the impossible. We got to quit doubting. We got to quit doubting all the time. We got to quit. I was, <clears throat> let me give you a quick illustration. I got, I got six minutes. I was in a battle. I moved out 10 miles inland, and all of the big corporate mines went out there and started buying farms, and they wanted to do 100-foot holes, rock mines, make it moonscape, you know, uh, blast every, every day, shock and, you know, shock, rattle, and roll everybody that lived out there, which happened to be me. And we gathered our little 
montage, you know, motley crew of neighbors together, bunch of rebels, and we went to the county commission to battle them people. We wanted to battle them. We wanted to fight them. We went to meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting in front of the commissioner, in front of the hearing examiners. You can't believe it. And we, we, we said, we, we, these mines will ruin the inside of Florida. They'll destroy it. It'll never be the same, not recoverable. And I have my well-meaning neighbors. I was one of the leaders. And I had well, my well-meaning neighbor come over to my house, and they drive over to my house, and I knew it was special because they never had seen me before. So I drove over to my house, got out of the car, came over to me and said, Bill, you know we don't have a chance to win. I said, well, thank you. I really needed that. What do you mean we don't have a chance? He said, you never beat big money. The whole system's rigged. It's, you're shot. You'll never do it. The connections of these people, Philadelphia lawyers. That tells you a mouthful. All these people coming down, flying in, we're shot. We got, they got millions they're spending. We're spending a couple hundred thousand dollars. They're spending five million. They're going to get it. They're going to run over us like a steamroller. And I said, I just believe there is a God in heaven who hears the little cry of his, of his people, even down here in the middle of uh, Glades Farm Road, 18251. There's one child of God here that's saying, Lord Jesus, have mercy on my soul. Don't let me live around these mines. You say, that's selfish. Well, I was praying in faith. God, I, I know it may be selfish, but then, wait, I don't know what your will is on it, but what you do? We won. 5-0. The lawyer came over to me before that, before the vote, and he said, I've never lost a case. And he was, he was a real cocky. Man, he had, he had pride running off of him. He said, I just hate to tell you this. This is another naysayer. We've never lost. I said, well, today's the day. Oh, he said, yeah. Yeah, forget it. You ain't never going to win. When they got up there and them commissioners voted 5-0, I, I would right now, but I'm afraid I'd have to go to the hospital. I want to jump up kick my feet in the air, glory to God, we won! That process repeated itself six times by six major corporations all over the world, world corporations. Mexico has a big one. We won every time. 5-0. You can say what you want. You can say, God don't care about small stuff like that. You can say, God don't care about our little details of life. You can say, God don't care who our president is, or God don't care about the babies, or God don't care about law and order. But I'm just crazy enough to believe that there's a God in heaven that's done all of this stuff and more that I haven't mentioned. And if you would quit being a doubter and quit being a cast a naysaying on this stuff and say, by the grace of God, I am going to believe. Lord, 
help thou, my unbelief. Sure, there were times, you know, when the voice, you know you're crazy. I may know I'm crazy, but I'm going to believe. Get out of here. I believe. You say, Brother Bill, what? what? Man, I don't have time for the examples to show you. Miracles. Kathy Moore got saved. I met my wife at a beer party. Dancing. She was a good dancer. Drinking booze. My first date, she got drunk. I couldn't take her home because I thought her dad would kill me. I don't come from some sterile seminary. I come from wickedness. And God reached way down for me. I stand as an absolute miracle of the grace of God this morning. My wife stands as a miracle. More than that, these are just quick lists. John Moore got saved. Ori Lytell got saved. Lorraine Lytell got saved. Troy Lytell got saved. Andrea Dodd. That's a big one. Andrea Dodd got saved. Her mom and dad got born again. Don't you take that for all. Every, people don't get saved, except it's a miracle. That's a short list, a little short list. I'm going to quit with this. Mark eleven twenty two. Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be removed, be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, shall commit, and, and the idea is to continue to believe. He shall receive those things which he shall, which he saith, shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. I can tell you this: that is not disputed in the Bible. That passage is not a disputed passage. In every version, in every uh, received text, even Westcott and Hort text. That verse I just read you is in the Bible. Now, why don't you make it in your Bible? Father, help us. We're not trying to be presumptuous here. We're, God forbid, we're not talking about commanding God. No, no, no. We are talking in humble brokenness, contriteness, coming before the God that all that is, who saved us, who loved us and gave himself for us, and bringing requests to you, believing them with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and just simply believing. Help us to have faith in God. Forgive us for doubting. Forgive us for doubting. Help us just to review back through the Scriptures again. 
and see thou art a great God. Thou art a mighty God. Thou art a God who, with God, nothing is impossible. Help us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a relative that's not saved, uncle, aunt, child, friend. Why don't you claim, by the grace of God, why don't you go to God and say, I'm praying for, for this person to be saved. I'm going to believe, and I'm going I'm to believe without doubting, and I'm going to pray for him to be saved or her to be saved. And until I die, by the grace of God, until, if I die, that's when I'll quit. If it's not God's will, that's between him and that person. But I'm praying that people get saved, certain people. And I'm not going to quit until I die. Now, that's a big commitment now. That's a big commitment. A life, you know, some of you are not so big, I suppose. But it's a commitment. I'm looking forward to seeing my mother-in-law in heaven, amen? You know what's beautiful about being saved? You can go to heaven, your mother-in-law will be there and still be heaven. Glory. God cures everything. Quit doubting. Start faithing. Beat yourself up a little bit about your doubting. And when people come by, and they will, the de- let me say this, the devil's sending people by to tell you everything you're doing ain't going to happen. Just trust God. You just put your head down, trust God. Trust Him. Literally, the response of today's message may there may be people in heaven someday because you believed for them. Father, help us. Anoint us from heaven in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. A couple of verses just as I am without one plea. Maybe God, what, maybe God, you just want to make it down here and say, I'm recommitting myself to pay, praying for this. You may have gotten weak. You may have gotten feeble. You may have quit praying. You used to pray, but you quit praying. Why don't you get back to it? We're going to do it again. We're going to do it again. I'm praying right now for Beth Moore. That's Kathy's sister. She gets saved. For her husband, Jeff, there's no indication at all that they're going to get saved. None. That's what I like about it. Because there's a God in heaven that in one day can make the difference between him getting saved and not getting saved. <laughs> Please save me. Oh, God, I believe. Help them unbelief. You come do business with God. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.